Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. What does the word disruptive mean to you? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the status quo. Not thinking in the conventional way, not just sort of following the herd. Disruptive means shaking things up, you know? Disruptive entrepreneur is somebody who sees the problem and embraces the problem with a new way. Shake up and awakening. Quality will take care of itself and you'll go from being disruptive but also profitable. When you use your own reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, then you disrupt. Mix it up, change it up and dominate. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hi, it's Rob Moore here and welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. I really want to bring you new and unique guests in as many different fields as I can. In some fields where maybe you wouldn't expect me to bring you guests or is rare on a business type podcast. And I think we've hit the spot with this one. So the guest you're about to listen to an interview with is a previous former Playboy model. Her name is Jade Nicole. She has 2.1 million Instagram followers. She's certainly a lot more than that. I think a lot of people when I did the live were very surprised about how savvy she was in business. Not that we should judge, but I really think you'll enjoy this interview. She talks a lot about opening restaurants, a lot about dealing with critics, a lot about going into new careers and obviously dealing with the stigmas of her previous career. I did shirk some of the questions when she went a lot for championing women and vegans. So you probably will feel my pain a little bit, but I think you'll really enjoy the interview with Jade Nicole. Um, Jade, thanks a lot for taking your time to do the interview. Of course. Um, I'm going to start straight in with um, maybe something that a lot of people don't talk about, and that's the maybe the non-glamorous side of your business. So... Is there a non-glamorous side to modeling that maybe you found hard growing up? Um, I would say that it's 90% not glamorous. So <laughs> um, for sure. Uh, when I was younger and I was modeling, especially before I quote unquote made it as a successful model, um, I would have to drive an hour and a half, two hours sometimes to jobs that would pay either nothing or like a hundred bucks. Uh, work all day, walking runway in high heel shoes. My poor mom once sat in the car for nine hours waiting for me <laughs> on a job. So she's had it pretty rough too. Um, but yeah, the majority of it is not glamorous. It's hard and no sleep and lots of work and little pay for the most part. <laughs> and other than lots of work and no sleep but not much pay, what else is hard about it? I've been pretty lucky with photographers and, and 90% of the ones that I've personally worked with, because I'm very, very careful who I work with, have been great. Um, but, you know, I have a lot of friends, you hear horror stories of, of people they've worked with that they've just had absolute terrible times with, you know, either they're getting sexually harassed or they're, you know, just feeling generally uncomfortable or they're spoken down to. Um, and it's, it's hard in general. I mean, being a woman in any business, I think is, comes with its challenges of people talking to you like you're dumb, but especially when you're modeling, even if you're modeling and running businesses, like I've been running my own businesses since I was like 15 years old. It doesn't seem to make a difference. Uh, people still kind of talk to you like you're only a model. And if you're a model, you can do nothing else. You can't speak about politics you can't speak about any world issues you can't have a 
thought on any topic whatsoever. If you're in a bathing suit at any point in your life in public, that's kind of how you're branded. So that's been the most difficult one for me now with Instagram, especially is anytime I speak about uh, topics that I'm very well educated on, uh, like food crisis, veganism animal agriculture environmentalism and people are just like you don't know what you're talking about just pose in a bikini and i'm like i try to be very polite but i'm more educated on this topic than 90 percent of the population so it gets frustrating um sometimes just being branded a model that was part of the reason why i was like introduce me as anything except for an instagram model because that's uh, the lowest qualification that i have is having followers on social media but um, are you able to use your profile for good, though, in that respect? In a way, I guess you don't just want to be known as a model, but it was a big part of your career, which I guess built your brand. Of course. Um, I mean, to be fair, I retired from modeling, like real actual professional modeling when I was 24. I'm 33 now. So mm-hmm. it's been some time. Obviously, social media has brought on a new um era of what modeling means and and working for companies and i'm very grateful to have the following that i have it has its ups and downs but it does allow me to speak out about certain things and be heard by you know millions of people which is a huge uh privilege and an advantage to have when uh, i'm trying to speak about issues doesn't mean it's always accepted and loved by everyone that's listening to it. Um, but it definitely does, you know, give me an advantage having those followers. Sure. So I want to come back to that. I'm fascinated by this women in business or women building a brand or women trying to have equality with men. And I'm just going to play it really dumb because obviously I'm not a woman. So just assume that I have no understanding of this whatsoever. Um, do you think it's still as hard as it was for women? Why was it as hard? Is it getting easier? Are women getting more reach, exposure? Are they being taken more seriously? It's a lot of questions. I mean, yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, I wasn't alive back then, but based on the information that I've seen, it is definitely easier now for women to... Um, you know, we were able to do things now than we never would have been able to do. And even in my mom's, you know, era of starting companies and, and being independent and, and running massive, you know, billion dollar companies, uh, these are all things that are relatively new for women. Um, doesn't mean that it's all, you know, roses. I still, when I'm on my construction site, I'm opening a restaurant. I'm the managing member. I'm the owner. I'm there every single day. And still sometimes people call me babe. <laughs> like, it's okay, babe. Don't worry. I'm like, would you ever on a construction site to your boss, if he was a male, call him sweetheart or honey or <laughs> any of these words, which I find to be super condescending. That's the least of our worries, but it's one that really like irks me and happens all the time. And we, of course, just have to smile and, and politely go on our way. And I think, you know, one of the things that um, does make women so successful is, and no offense because you are a man, <laughs> but I think most women, um, they don't run businesses with their ego as much as men have in my experience. I used to do nightclubs before I did restaurants. So it was just one big 
party of egos that I was having to fight with every single day. And, um, men sometimes like to spend money on stuff that is completely unnecessary and not a great business decision just to kind of like puff up their chest and, and be right or have the biggest, this or the flashiest, this or the most expensive, this. And for me in every business, this is my sixth hospitality venue that I'm opening. Um, I've had to fight to be like, please don't spend $90,000 on that tile. <laughs> no one's going to see. <laughs> and so when I did this project, I chose all women investors and it's just been so much easier. It's like no ego. People come together. They collaborate. No one cares who's right. We work on design together. Everyone comes in and literally puts their blood, sweat, and tears into physically helping and working as a team. And it's been like, a breath of fresh air for me personally. So I just feel like awful being a man right now. <laughs> no, and um, again, it's, it's not all men, just like not all women are easy to work with. You know, it's yeah. just in the industry, especially in hospitality that I'm working in, I have found 90% of men, A, hate being told what to do by a woman. That's been like, such a big one from the beginning when I had my first nightclub and I had men that were used to being the bosses that worked underneath me. They hated it, hated it. It didn't matter if I was making the smartest decision. If I was telling them something they would already be doing or knowing they had to come back and argue with every single solitary thing that I did or said. Um, and like I said, the, the company I left before I went and opened this one on my own, uh, they would want to spend money on like, you know, a quarter of a helicopter so that it was quicker for us to get to one of our venues. And like, uh, we want to open this place quicker. So we're going to do a $500,000 key money when it wasn't worth that much money. And just so many things that were unnecessary. And so that's just my personal experience. Mm. Not all okay. men. <laughs> yeah, no, of course, of course. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bow out of the men-women debate now. Um, <laughs> just to, to play it safe. You said um, it's a new era of modeling. I wrote that down. It's not in my initial questions, but what does that mean? A new era of modeling now and, and how is it different to when, maybe when you were doing it? Of course. I mean, when I was younger and I was modeling, the only way that you modeled was you found an agency that would sign you you know, you went and did your test shots, you built up your book, you lugged your book around to castings you hoped that someone would like you 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 know book a job you'd go in it was it was very different um photo shoot productions were insane i mean when i shot for um play me to the year my crew that was on set was like 15 people we had you know assistants photographers their assistants like six lighting people two hair and makeup war it was crazy and we also shot on film, which is insane. <laughs> that makes me feel super old. Um, yeah, it was just a different production. The whole thing was different. Now, you know, all of the photos that I take, like my friend takes in the middle of the day while we're walking down the street. And like, it's so much simpler and, and easier to just create your own images and create your own content with the digital devices, like essentially that are available to us now. And then, of course, all the different social media um, outlets that exist now for people to post their own content and have people seeing them. And then as well as brands, it's like, you know, you can pay 
a couple hundred thousand dollars to put on this crazy photo shoot and put it in a magazine and maybe 50,000 people will see it. Maybe a hundred thousand people will see it or you can put it on someone's social media following and a million people will see it in an instant. You mm. don't have to print it. You don't have to wait for it to get mailed out. You don't have to, it literally just is instant results that you can see. You can see how many clicks you can see how many people swipe to your website. It's just, a more like instant gratification for brands. So I'm finding that most brands are switching over to this type of media, which is allowing for all these new models. If you're hardworking and you can create content, you know, you're a model now. Mm. Great. So I'd like to focus most of this interview on your current business ventures, uh, more so than maybe your past business ventures. Um, but there is a couple of questions that I'd like to ask on that, if you don't mind. And how did you traverse into, I think you were at about age six when you started modeling and then all of a sudden you're a playboy model. How does one take that journey? How did that happen for you? Um, sheer luck and timing, I would say. Um, I, live in, I lived in a very, very small town. There was maybe a thousand people in it. Um, and my stepdad at the time was doing like, car shows. And so when I was 16, I started doing car shows where you just go and you stand next to cars and people take your photos, but it paid really well, especially being 16. And uh, I randomly got asked by someone uh, last minute to cover at SEMA, which is a huge car show um, down here in Las Vegas. And I was super excited. I had never been to Las Vegas before. So I hopped on the chance. And while I was there, a photographer came up to me and was like, oh, you should do this photo shoot for me. And I always went through my agency. So people approached me. I was like super skeptical and nervous. Then he sent over like four other really gorgeous models to tell me how great of a photographer he was. So he sold me and he offered me to fly to the Florida Keys to do a photo shoot. And of course, it's Canadian winter. I'm like, of course, I would like to go to the Florida Keys at any time for any reason. So uh, I did that photo shoot. And while I was there, he was like, have you ever thought of doing Playboy? I had never even seen a Playboy before at this point. Um, I would consider myself fairly modest. I did bikini modeling, but I'm the girl that at the gym, I change in the bathroom stall. Like I would never just like change openly in the gym. So I was like, absolutely not. Like, I thought that it was porno. I was like, that's pornographic. I would never do that. And he was like, go home, buy a Playboy, look at it, and then we'll talk. And so I went home and I told my mom. And she went out and bought me my very first Playboy episode, or, uh, <laughs> issue ever. Um, and it was Sarah Jean Underwood, who was the Playmate of the Year before me. It was her pictorial. And it was absolutely beautiful and it was very tastefully done and it wasn't graphic or crazy like I thought it was going to be and so he it took a little wearing down but he submitted my photos uh into Playboy and one day when I was cleaning my room they just called me on the phone and we're like Hef wants to invite you down to stay at the Playboy mansion and shoot and I was like had a panic attack <laughs> because I was not mentally prepared for any of this um, but my mom convinced me, she's like, you're only young and hot once, just go do it. Like <laughs> you'll regret it later in life if you don't. And, uh, so yeah, I flew down there and 
the rest is history. It happened really quick once I got to Los Angeles. And then how long did that last in your career? After that, how much did that sort of spur other opportunities and you keep the fire burning? Well, I became a playmate first. Um, and so you, for your whole year, basically there's a playmate every month. So I was January. So for that whole entire year, um, you do, uh, you know, jobs, autograph signings, you show up places. Um, but I still was living in Canada in my tiny little town. You know, I went home and my mom owned a cleaning company. I would still clean houses with her to help her out. So it wasn't like, like I made some money and I was making jobs, but it wasn't like life changing. Um, but then uh, at the end of the year, when I won Playmate of the Year, that was a much uh, bigger deal. So there hadn't been a Canadian Playmate of the Year in like 25, 26 years. So in Canada, this was huge news. <laughs> where it was slow on the news cycles up there. So it was like everything that I did was newsworthy all of a sudden. And I had autograph signings where I was like, oh, my God, who would come to this? No one's going to come to this. And there would be like lines and lines down the block and I would be signing autographs for like four straight hours. Um, that went on basically for the whole year. I traveled all over the world uh, with Playboy and working with other companies. And um, I got a lot of different jobs and modeling and, and movie roles and all kinds of different um, opportunities from that. So uh, that was really, really crazy. Um, but shortly after that, I got kind of more, uh, back into hospitality and running businesses. So I still kind of did it a little bit on the side. Um, the club appearances and traveling, it just was so much fun as, you know, a 22, 23 year old me just getting paid thousands and thousands of dollars to like go party places with my friends was like, you know, amazing. Um, but like after a couple of years of that, it's exhausting <laughs> like I didn't want to get on a plane again I didn't want to drink so of course I opened a nightclub it's <laughs> a thing to do when you're over partying um but yeah it lasted for quite a long time I mean it's still now what 10 years later and people still you know that I meet on the street still know me from you know claiming of the year and, and everything that happened after that so mm. you um you said earlier um, something about before you made it. Was there a day or a time when you thought, you thought, I think I've made it? And if there was, can you talk to us about that moment? I think um, walking into the Playboy Mansion and meeting Hef was like a huge moment for me. Um, I'm not like a person that, you know, gets starstruck. I, I grew up, I didn't even have cable so like, I didn't know who most like people that knew celebrities, I didn't even know who most people were, but like everyone knows who Hugh Hefner is. And, you know, I had never been to Los Angeles before and, you know, they sent a limo for me and they had like security walk me from the limo to the house. And it was so beautiful. There was like peacocks walking everywhere and like so many beautiful women. And um, I don't think it like clicked into me at the moment, like, holy Wait, can I swear? Yeah, so you like, yeah. Because <laughs> I, holy shit, like, I, I, you know, I didn't, wasn't like, oh, I made it now. I just, I never was really trying to, like, to attain a certain level of modeling. I kind of just, like, did what I thought was fun and, and what I felt like I was good at and the opportunities that were given. But looking back on everything, I think that for sure was a moment for me where things were taken 
to the next level. Um, I didn't go on castings anymore after that. So that was like a really big deal. Being able to do direct bookings and not have to show up to castings is like, that's for sure. If you're a model, you know, that's like, you've made it for sure. (laughs) Okay. So did you think in your mind, you know what, this is not going to last forever. I need to set up other ventures or did you just roll with it and take opportunities as they came? Um, I've always been business minded. Um, I mean, even when I was like a little girl, I would paint rocks and sew potholders and like sell them on my street and save money. Um, I think I was 11 when I invested in the stock market for my first time through my grandpa, lost all my money, unfortunately, (laughs) but, uh, modeling was always something that was kind of thrown at me. It wasn't something that I kind of pursued. Uh, you know, I was scouted and, and I was given opportunities and for me, it's stupid to turn down an opportunity at any point. If it's a good opportunity and you enjoy it and it's making you money, you just kind of roll with it. But it was never where my heart was. It was never where I felt like my strongest. Like, yeah, I was, I was good at it. I was okay. But I wasn't like stoked to be modeling. I wasn't like, yes, photo shoot today. I was kind of like, oh yeah, I got a photo shoot today. Like, And now, like, as I got older, I, like, hated having my photo taken, which is so funny because that's basically my job. But all my friends know, like, I I do not like having my photo taken. So I've always kind of had, you know, my thumb in in other projects. And that's really kind of where I strive. So I've always planned, you know, I've been doing that alongside, but I always kind of planned as my end game was being in hospitality, doing hotels, um, uh, you know, restaurants all kinds of different things, rescues, uh, different charities. So it's always my, my end goal. Mm. And what is it about those that you like? Why hospitality, why hotels, why restaurants? I guess rescues, et cetera, is probably a bit more obvious why, but why hospitality? Um, you know, I don't, when I was younger, I'm not really sure what sparked my interest. I really thought that I was going to own a hotel. That was like what I thought was going to happen Um, I was just very good at customer service. You know, I worked, um, at a couple different, just random jobs and I just understood the business and I always found ways to improve places that I was working, whether it was a tanning salon, a golf course, I worked at Wendy's flipping burgers. Like I always found ways to make things more efficient and to make the company more money. And so I went to school for hotel and resort management and, uh, I took one semester and, I had like 103.5 average when I ended that semester because uh, our our hospitality math book they give you on the first day, I took home and finished the whole thing and showed up and they were like, this is the entire course. Like you finished the whole entire thing. And so there was like bonus questions. I somehow managed to get all of them. And I at the end of it, I was like, this is, I already know how to do these things. So I felt like it was kind of like a waste of my time. And when I started opening businesses, I don't know, I just, you know, when you just find something that you just, it clicks, like you just understand it and you really enjoy it. Like I would spend 16 hours working, um, all day opening this nightclub. And then I'd be there from nine o'clock till six in the morning. And I was happy. I liked it. I enjoyed what I was doing. I, of course was tired, but really like, I didn't want to leave. I, I, finally found somewhere where I really just thrived and, uh, and it just got better and better as I gained experience and, and learned from, you know, people that had more experience than me and 
the more I learn, the more excited I get and the better I get at it and the more I enjoy it. So I need to sort of lead into this question if it's okay, Jade. I did an interview for um, a major newspaper here in the UK um, about something I've never heard before. And they're calling them here slashies. Uh, And a slashy is someone who does restaurant slash model slash photographer slash influencer, you know, whatever, pick four, whatever um, sort of job roles you have. And I think the world of people working and their careers has completely changed. One, we're all living till we're like 85, 90, 100. Hopefully I will too. Um, so, so one, it's not really feasible to have one career. Two, there isn't enough money in the system to pay us a pension to, you know, live beyond that career. And three, with social media and the internet, it's quicker to start a career, learn a career, and probably easier to change a career. So much so that in England, they're now calling people who don't want to be stereotyped in one career, but one have three or four, they're calling them slashies, which was something I learned about new for the first time last week. Um, so do you kind of regard yourself a bit like that? You're not one thing. You're, you're not one sort of career. You can be whoever you want to be and you can be fluid and creative and be many things. Sure. I've never heard that term before, but it is extremely <laughs> accurate. Um, so many times when, uh, me and my friends would go out, especially years ago and people would be like, what do you do? Like, what's your job? And everyone would laugh because at that point I was like, uh, modeling. I ran a, a booking modeling agency. I ran my dog rescue. I volunteered in uh, marine mammal care. Um, I volunteered at a wolf sanctuary. I, you know, worked as a VIP host at our nightclub, I, you know, we were opening a new restaurant. We had two businesses in Cabo that I was helping managing with the branding. I ran all of our social media for like 16 different accounts. So I was for sure, I was slashing. <laughs> like I had so many things going on that I couldn't even like pick the ones to tell people when they would ask me what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still like that. I think I've fine tuned it a little bit now just because um, the new projects that I'm doing uh, I've taken on a larger role and I'm trying to accomplish, uh, something much greater than I have with the other projects. And so it's kind of stolen my attention away from other things. Um, but I would still consider myself to be a slashy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this actually raises quite a good point. Where's the right balance? Um, in some ways, I think we can do many careers simultaneously. You've proven that. In other ways, are this younger generation, they don't really know what hard work is like. You know, they're just trying a lot of different things. But actually, is there an argument that you've got to do something for 10 or 15 years to become really good at it, to earn really deep at it, to get really well known at it? Where's the balance? You know, I get that all the time where people will message me and and be angry, like, oh, you don't know what real work is or you don't not that these people know me or know my upbringing because for sure I have done that. I did not grow up in a wealthy family um, and I've worked my ass off to get here. However, I don't think that there is such thing as real work anymore or a real job. I think that, you know, some people that are used to jobs only being nine to five and you hate your job and you show up and you do it anyways and you clock out and you go home and that's just not the reality anymore. Like, 
there's so many new opportunities that weren't available to us when we were younger and, and, and to our parents that are available now. And it would be silly for people not to take advantage of them. And, and it's not easy. You know, people are like, Oh, having an Instagram or a YouTube, that's easy. Just you're hot. So you get followers. It's absolutely not easy. And that's why everyone does not do it. Mm -hmm. And why our parents don't even know how to use some of the social media apps. Like these are skills that people, uh, need to teach themselves and they need to learn and they need to learn how to create content and what content lands and, and how to make money from that content. And it's a new type of job. And I think it, uh, people think it's so fun and light and airy and no hard work because you only see the output. You only see the end results of people smiling and happy and like this beautiful makeup tutorial. Like you don't, the whole point of social media is you don't see all that behind the scenes stuff. So I think it's, people think it's a lot easier and some people are good at stuff right off the bat. And, and, you know, sometimes you click with something you're good at and sometimes you're not. So I think if you have to work on something for 10 years before you're good at it, move on from that career and pick something else because <laughs> that's not the one for you. Sure. Okay. Thanks. So you've raised some really good questions here. If I could pick them off, if you don't mind. So you said there's an art to Instagram. So give us a, couple, a little Instagram masterclass. I've, um, I'm trying to build my Instagram. It's definitely nowhere near as good and professional as yours. Um, I'm doing my best. It's my, definitely one of my rubbishest social medias. So <laughs> give us a quick masterclass on the art of great Instagram. Uh, work. So much work. You have to build so much content and it has to be quality content. Um, one thing that I tell everyone is like, stick to your niche of why people are following you. So some people will be like, well, I'm a real estate agent, but also I post photos of my dog. And also I post photos of me at the gym. And also I post photos of my houses that I'm selling out. People are following you for, for a specific reason. If it's to get your business advice, if it's to get health and, and fitness advice, you know, if it's just to see pictures of you because they think you're attractive, like you have to, to know your audience and build content around what your audience wants to see in order to grow your audience and to build the type of content for the type of audience that you want. If you're only posting close up ass shots, you're going to get all creepy dude followers. You know, you're not going to get quality interaction with people. You know, if you want more female followers, you have to be posting more fashion, more beauty, um, more aesthetically pleasing photos. doesn't mean that they have to be totally covered. You can still, you know, be sexy and be yourself, you know, whoever you are, but, um, you just have to know, know your audience, know the audience that you want and just put out content and pay attention to what content does well and what doesn't. I think sometimes people just think they know best mm -hmm. and they don't want to listen to anyone else, including the people that follow them and know that you never know best. Listen to everyone, try, fail, try, fail. And when you succeed, keep doing the part that succeeds. You never know best. I'm just writing that down. Cause I think that's great. Um, I am going to come back to this women debate because um, I, I felt I wimped out of it last time and I don't, I'm, I'm not, people aren't used to me wimping out of things. I think that actually working, because I work with a lot of women, Jade, and I think it's really great. And I think there are upsides to um, men's energy and natural state. And I think there are upsides to women's natural energy and state. But I think um, working with a lot of women has taught me I never know best, even though I'm the owner of my company. Um, and if, if you think about the hardest thing to do in your company 
is to solve everything yourself because all the pressure's on you, the founder, the entrepreneur, everyone's looking at you going, oh, solve all my problems. That's the hardest thing to do. The easiest thing to do is to solve all your problems in your company by asking everyone else who's in your company, who's experiencing all those problems in the company, what they think the solution should be. And I think I probably came into business with a bit of a chip on my shoulder, something to prove. And, you know, maybe, oh, it's my business. I want to do what I want. I want to tell everyone else what to do. And I, that, I'm, I'm circling this a million times. You never know best. I think that that's a, a great thing. You can always learn from everyone. Um, so uh, this is, I really learned this again for working like guys like you that when they first came into it would say something and they would think that because they were the boss, that was the answer and that was the best answer. And even if myself or someone else came up with a better solution, they would be so annoyed that we would even question that they didn't know the best solution to this mm. problem or the best way to go about marketing or branding or hiring, whatever it was. And I try my best in my company now not to be that person. And I'll think something I'll ask everyone. I'll be like, what mm. do you guys think is best? I think this, but I want to hear everyone's like opinion on this because sometimes someone will have a better solution than I had, or it will give me an idea to create a better solution um, or a, a better type of marketing. You know, I feel like we'll build on ideas. I'll have this tiny little idea that I think is great. And then I'll have, you know, I'll bounce it off five or six of our investors or, or my friends, and it will create this idea that's 20 times better than my original idea. Mm. And this happens all the time. So I don't ever think that like my idea or my way of doing something is the best way because someone's always going to know better than me Yeah. <laughs> like in, every, in every aspect, but also, you know, um, getting other people's opinions. And, and, and like you said, like asking people how to solve their own problems is the best way to fix things in a company mm -hmm. and to grow. Thank you. All right. So um, next thing then on your masterclass by Jade, you said, um, a lot of content. So what's a lot of content? Are you talking three times a day, five times a day, once a week? What's a lot of content? It depends on your audience, to be totally honest. I think that one post a day is a good amount. Yeah. yeah. Um, I never attain that now. Unfortunately <laughs> for me, my Instagram has suffered greatly the last couple months um, because I have been so busy. But if you are focused on this and you are trying to build, for me, one post a day, I think is great. Um, sometimes you can do two, it just depends on your audience. You'll know right away. If you post that second post and you're getting high interaction and people are commenting and people are excited about it, then great. Two posts, you're fine. Yeah. If you notice that you post that second post and you get someone follows and people are kind of annoyed and it goes downhill, then that's too much for your audience. Yeah. Perfect. Right. Next masterclass then. You've talked a lot about good content. Now, forgive me for being bold here, but that's the most generic statement in the whole world. What, what? What I mean, that's a panacea, isn't it? What is good content? Good content is something that pertains, uh, like I said earlier, to your audience, people, something that they're interested in. Also, a quality of a photo is important. You're taking like blurry selfies with bad lighting and, and you know, no effort into your outfit. People are not going to like it. You know, as a, every single one of us is a consumer of Instagram, if you're scrolling and you see a beautifully lit photo with a nice background, maybe palm trees, a sunset or a beautiful blue ocean, you're more likely to like that than if it's like someone sitting in their dark basement with a blurry selfie 
and like a messy couch. Like you're not going <laughs> to like that because it's not a pleasing image to your eye. <laughs> so you just want to, you know, crisp, clean, good lighting, nice aesthetics. And again, the, it's going to depend totally on what your, what your page is of what's the actual content inside it, but just making sure that it's a quality image. Sure. Thank you. And then you've said here, making money out of content. How do you make money out of content? Um, brands. You have to align yourself with uh, brands that are working on social media strategies. So essentially, if you are posting all makeup content, you have to reach out to makeup companies, makeup removing companies, face wash companies, um, brush companies, like anything that pertains to you, you have to hustle. You have to reach out to them. You have to send them your analytics, um, let them know why they should hire you. Like people will send you jobs all the time. Like I get email requests for jobs, but when I'm really on it and I'm hustling and I'm making real good money, it's because I'm actually proactively finding brands that fit with my content. I find travel brands. I find uh, bikini brands. I find skincare, fitness brands. Um, things that I know my audience will buy so that it's not only successful for me posting it, but also successful for the companies that I'm working with. Great. Thank you. So it sounds like you have quite a lot of income streams here. Is that something you've set up on purpose? Do you think it's important to have multiple income streams as a overall business empire strategy? Or are you, are you just expressing yourself doing what you love and that happens to have a lot of variety? I think everyone needs multiple income streams. I don't think there's any industry on the planet that is safe, that, you know, your income stream is going to be guaranteed for your whole life or even for a month or for a year. Um, social media, especially, I mean, it was Facebook, then it was Twitter, then it was Instagram and mm. Snapchat for a second, then Instagram again. Mm. And, and it's always going to change. And there are some months where, you know, Instagram was at its heyday where I was making $50,000 a month. And then there are some months where I make $0. Mm -hmm. So you can't rely on, on one source of income anymore. I don't think anybody should. I don't think it's smart and I don't think it's practical or safe. So for me, the more income streams that are coming in, the less stressed I am. If I lose one, not a big deal. Still got these other ones, add on another one. Mm. You also talked earlier about your first investment in the stock market. I think you said you were about 11. You were young. Um, I've property, my, my um, listeners who listen to me know I've, I'm um, very keen on property. I've been doing it for a long time. And um, do you invest as well? Do you, are you just sort of running businesses? Uh, I have. Uh, I mean, my very first thing that I invested in was actually other, other than little stock market blips <laughs> thing I really invested in was a house. I actually built a house in Canada and sold it before I um, came to Los Angeles. I do really enjoy doing design. Um, so building houses and, and building out the design of it was really fun for me. Uh, then when I got here, uh, I invested in uh, several different uh, nightclubs that I also ran. Uh, I don't really invest in anything that I'm not doing because I don't believe in, it's not that I don't believe in investing in someone else's dream. It's just that I have dreams of my own that I would mm. like to invest my own money and my own time and my own energy. So the restaurant that I'm opening right now, I'm one of the largest investors in. Uh, I would never start a project and ask other people to invest in me if I'm not willing to invest in myself. Mm. Okay. So let's talk about your new businesses then and, and, or newer businesses and your business interests. 
what is business about for you? Like, it sounds like there's definitely a passion there, but um, do you have like a business modus operandi or, or what it's about for you? Um, right now, really, I'm trying to, this sounds like so dramatic, but it's true. We're really trying to save the world through business. We're trying to um, set a new standard for how businesses uh, practice um, when it comes to the environment, uh, humanitarianism, animals, basically just its overall effect on the planet. And with Sugar Taco, which is the new restaurant that I'm opening, we are fully plant-based. We have solar panels going on our roof. Um, everything is biodegradable, compostable, recyclable. Uh, we do, uh, we plant trees to offset our carbon uh, footprint. We have partnered up with really cool companies to help uh, eliminate food waste and support local farmers. Uh, we've partnered up with another one that feeds uh, starving children vegan meals around the world. You know, yeah, we're, we're doing, doing a lot, lot of different incentives through the company. And uh, we're really trying to, you know, use it as a tool to help change the world. Like, do I need to make money? Of course. Is this something I'm passionate about? For sure. But I do believe that it's possible to help other people and make a difference in the world while also running a successful, lucrative business. Mm. Is it is it harder to make profit in a company which is um, so ethically driven where the ethically driven part of this world is quite new or is it not? any more difficult it could be um depends on how you do it it depends on where you're trying to open a company um for me i'm in los angeles so it's quite easy and it's also a huge selling point so there are a lot of statistics out there that show people will pay more money excuse me for organic produce for locally sourced items for something that they believe to be eco-friendly or green even though most people don't even know what that means, they still will spend more money on it. They're still more likely to um, to walk into a business if that business is considered to be eco-friendly rather than the business beside it. So for us and here where I am opening a business, uh, it's actually very good for business to be eco-friendly and to be um, ethically you know, sourced and, and have an ethical output. Okay, great. Um, so what have you learned in business? You know, if there are two or three things, I know that's a really hard question. I get it, but, um, Hey, this wasn't things and still learning. <laughs> yeah, this wasn't supposed to be easy though. So, um, two or three big things you've learned in business. Um, always second guess yourself when you're going into a new venture with new people. Um, don't get caught up in the excitement of a new project because, There's been a lot of times where I was new and people would really be selling me on a project in themselves. And I was so excited and I would just be like, I'm doing this hundred percent. Here's all my money. Here's all my time. And, um, and the people that I was surrounding myself were not the right people. So just be very, very, very careful with the people you surround yourself in business. Um, you will be linked to them for the rest of your life, whether you like it or not. Uh, whether in publicity, um, you know, by word of mouth and or legally, depending on what you're doing. So um, just second guess and take take your time. Don't rush into anything when it comes to who you're choosing to be around. Um, 
And for me, make sure there's a market for whatever you're doing. I think a lot of people, um, like for example, and I hope they don't know I'm talking about them, but this company opened a coffee shop really close by to where we're opening. And there are so many coffee shops right around us. And for me, I know how much the rent is. We almost rented that space. I'm like, there's no market for this. There's no market for your product. It's already saturated. There's nothing that sets you apart. So for people, if you're going to open a business, just make sure that there is a market for what you're doing. And it's not just something you're passionate about because that's only one small part. Um, and then of course, be passionate about what you're doing. If you don't love what you're doing and you're not willing to spend 24 hours a day working on that and getting no sleep and not eating and not talking to your friends and not going out, if you're not willing to put it in on that project, then you don't love it enough. Let someone else do it and help them build their dream. Lock in on your nine to five. <laughs> okay. So we're nearing the end of our interview now. So thank you, Jade. It's been great. We're getting lots of great comments here as well. Um, we started this interview and there was quite a lot of talk about men. Um, and how could men change so that business could be better? Um, and maybe, yeah, I'll just, I'll leave it there. How could men change to be better in business? Well, I think this goes for men and everyone real realistically, but just to be more self-aware, you know, check your own actions when you're doing something or saying something, just try to like take a second to be aware of what you're putting out in the world, the things you're doing, the things you're saying. Um, and it, sometimes it helps with picturing if you had someone saying that to you or you had someone putting that task on you or treating you a certain way. Um, and just try to empathize a little bit. I think that that would go a very, very long way. <laughs> and that's not just for men. That's for everyone. Mm. Right. So I've heard this kind of question being asked a lot on podcasts. And I've always avoided it. But I think it's actually a really good question for you. And I hope you do too. So I'm going to ask it. But um, people often say, what advice would you give to your younger self? And I'm kind of like, man, I heard that question a million times. But... Imagine you go back to you just about to do Playboy, which obviously was a big change in your life. What advice would you give to that early 20s model who's just about to go and do Playboy what, with what you know now? I would have done it again in a heartbeat, a thousand percent. Um, I would tell me to milk it a little bit more. <laughs> I think I was too young to really... Uh, capitalize on all that was available to me at the time. I was too busy enjoying life and, and having fun. And, and I think like, luckily I did have some business sense and I did um, build something from it. Um, and a lot of people don't, but I would have for sure milked it a little bit more. <laughs> I would have really hustled and wrangled in all that cash that was out there when people were paying, you know, three, five, ten thousand $10,000 for club appearances, because that doesn't happen anymore. And it only happened for like, two or three short years and you know, I was tired. And so I stopped. And if I could go back, I would be like, hustle, do it every day, take every single booking, save up that money. Um, yeah. Just milk it for all it's worth. So <laughs> I'm gonna <enjoy> life later. <laughs> I, I would just like to add something to that, Jade. I think that's vital. And um, I, when I set up my business in 2000 and what, seven, 
not soon after, there was a massive recession. Obviously, you remember it was global. Um, and I saw some, a lot of big companies in our space go bust. And the only reason probably we didn't was because we were so small and lean. We didn't really have anything to lose. And we were sort of, we were left by default, really, if I'm honest. It wasn't because of our great skills and talents. And I remember speaking to all these people who went bust. I was quite lucky to, to know a lot of them or get to know them. And I remember thinking, when it's your time, you've got to cash in and you've got to make hay while the sun shines and you've got to do everything you can because you might get one good year, three good years, five good years. If you think about sports people, celebrities are in the limelight and they're not, or business trends that are really popular for a while. I mean, whoever made the slinky, do you remember that, that went down the stairs? Well, he probably had the two great years probably on that. And then what? If he didn't have a load of different products, then... So I just want to sort of um, back up what you said there. I almost have this like fear-based mentality. Like when it's going well, just cash in, cash in, go big, just work it through because you may need that to be the main source of income for the next 10 years. A hundred percent. Like they're looking back, same with Instagram. At the beginning of Instagram, I was one of the very few people that had a big page. There was like not a lot of influencers and I turned down a lot of stuff and I was just lazy and I was doing other things and I didn't really care. And I just felt like, oh, well, next month, next month. And then new algorithms hit. All of a sudden, everyone was an influencer. Mm. There were so many people and kind of the bubble burst on where you were able to really, you know, very easily rake in all the money. And, and I think that goes for every single business. Even now, you know, we're opening a, a plant-based taco shop here in LA. We're basically the only one. I guarantee you next year, there'll be 10. So, yeah. we, you know, we need to capitalize on everything while it's it's hot and it will be super successful and, and build up that you know, nest egg to ride out when we have 20 competitions against mm. us. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's like that in every business. Right. So a couple more then if you're okay, Jade. So I think a lot of people are hiding behind worrying about being judged, fear of putting themselves out there. Of course, the critics, the trolls, the haters, the stuff that you know is just part of the everyday world. So how do you deal with that? How do you deal with all that noise and nonsense and vitriol and it's probably even sometimes abuse how do you still maintain your enthusiasm passion your your lust for putting yourself out there and building a business um it's challenging um i think that i have built up a very very tough skin being um somewhat in the spotlight since i was very young um my mom is a very strong woman and you know, when I first became a playmate, it was where there was like chat rooms and stuff online. It was like way back in the day, but people would just start flags about how much they hated me, complete strangers for no reason. And, um, that's kind of a weird thing to experience. Um, now it is much more prevalent because social media, it's so easy. Um, but it's hard. I think you have to take it day by day. Some days I'm better at it than others. If I'm having a a hard day where um, there's a lot of people that are saying, you know, negative comments, or I do a post about saving animals and people come on being like, I'm going to go eat a steak now. And I'm going to go kill this animal. And it's very um, draining emotionally, sometimes thinking like you're fighting so hard to make a difference. And there's these people out here that take your like heartfelt words and, and feelings in and then spit out such like hatred towards you, even though they're complete strangers. In days like those, I put my phone away. I don't look at it. And then when I wake up the next day and I have my coffee and I'm feeling like a badass again, I go on there and I school them and I throw some <laughs> facts at them. And, and uh, people are like, whoa, like you, 
or handle it with such grace. And I'm like, yeah, yesterday I wrote like <laughs> super crazy mean stuff. I delete it and I put my phone away because you can't, you can't handle that and come at it with grace and, and intelligence and, and, you know, information to combat that all the time. It's physically mm. impossible. So just, I tell people to take breaks. You're not going to be able to handle it all the time, but sometimes you're going to be on your game and you're going to be able to respond to everybody. And there's a block button for a reason. Block away. <laughs> and do you do that frequently, the block button? Yes, 100%. Yeah. And I, when, I know we're getting a bit technical here, but I get asked this a lot. And I like what you've said. Basically, some days when you know you, you're going to be a bit sensitive, just hide away from it. When you're feeling sort of brave and smart, get involved. When do you block, though? Do you block when it's too much, when it's really hurtful, when it's a clear troll? Have you got, like, any rules? Yeah, if someone's an obvious troll, mm. that's, like, not that's even saying... Like, if let's use a vegan post, for example, because this is where I, I find most of my battles occur. Veganism and, and feminism on, in any capacity whatsoever um, are, are where I find my worst. So if someone just comes on and is like, F you, you're a dirty slut and it's just a rampage of craziness i'll block it i'm like there's no point in me having an intelligent conversation with this person they're not here for that so it would be wasting my breath but there are other people that you know will write oh sexist doesn't exist why don't you just go back to taking bikini photos and i'm like sir you're being sexist right now in your comment literally right now saying that you're not sexist but you're also telling me just to go back to taking photos. Cause that's all I'm good at. Like you're, I try to explain to people like as best as I can. And sometimes with, with the veganism posts, people will come on and be like, you, you know, but you're killing all these plants. And so to those people, I will respond and I'll teach them like, do you know how many plants a cow eats every single day, all it's in life for years until it's killed to be food? way more plants than a human being would eat. So I try to like educate. I try to use facts as, as my tool. I try to leave my personal opinion out of things as much as possible because that doesn't really get anybody anywhere. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if I feel like I can't make any headway of teaching that person something and they're just being super vulgar, then I block them. Mm. Would you think having all this experience you have with dealing with all manner of critics, trolls, haters, etc. Do you think that's made you a stronger person? Do you think it's made you a more balanced person, a more empathetic person, or just a more cynical person? <laughs> it's weird to say a little bit of everything. Um, some days I really doubt the human race a lot. <laughs> um, it makes me upset to think that there are people in the world that have these thoughts and feelings and really feel strongly like they know best when they have no idea what they're talking about. And that is very upsetting to me. Um, but other than that, yeah, I do think that it makes me better at dealing with conflict in business because it allows me basically practice runs with complete strangers on the internet who have no bearing on my success or failure in business to practice my calm, negotiation skills or mm. um, problem solving techniques. And, you know, it really is instant feedback because you can see sometimes you'll come at someone a certain way and it backfires on you. And sometimes it actually, they'll be like, Oh, you're right. Now that you've said it that way, I totally agree with you. And so it does actually help me learn um, a lot of, you know, conflict 
uh, resolution strategies. <laughs> it's not how I would wish to learn these talents, but it does for sure help. <laughs> mm. I don't think anyone I've ever interviewed has said it like that, but um, I think that's it's probably more profound than you've made out. Um, I try and engage a lot on all the comments. The worst are ones on ads. They just go wild on ads. It's not so much that bad on my profiles because people have chosen to follow me. But I would say at least 15, 20% of the time, if someone chucks some shit at you, it's often because they're going through some shit in their own life and they just don't know how to communicate it. And you were there, they were scrolling, you did something, it sort of triggered them. And uh, But then actually when you, when you take time to care, are you okay? Is there something going on? Actually, often they're just like you and I who've had a bad day. and That happens all the time. Yeah. Like sometimes other girls are like, you want to be taken seriously, but you're shy. And they'll go crazy, like so dramatic over something so insignificant where I'm like, girl power. And they'll be like, this long, <laughs> like, like, like paragraph of something so angry. And I'll write back and be like, hey, like, I hope you're okay. I don't think this is about me since you don't know me. I just want everyone to be happy and to find their own strength and power. And I hope that like, if you need to talk to someone, you need to talk to someone. If not, like just chill out. And sometimes people get very upset over that. But mm. sometimes people are like, you know what? This is not about you. I was having a really bad day. My boyfriend liked your photo and I got really upset. <laughs> <laughs> it's his fault. It's not yours. And I'm like, all good girl. Like you do you, but just like, don't take it out on strangers. Mm. Right. Two more then. One's a double-edged sword question. What's the best advice and the worst advice you can remember you ever, ever received? Ooh, that is a great question. Thinking off the top of my head, you know, this sounds kind of conceited of me, but I don't take a lot of advice from people. I follow more by if I see someone doing something and I, and it works and it's successful, I will for sure adapt that. I'll, I'll use that. I'll learn from it. But um, I don't trust advice. I don't trust advice coming from anybody. <laughs> I don't think that anyone really has your best interest at heart except for yourself. Mm. And I think if it's someone in your industry, they're probably your competition um, or someone that is jealous. And so I don't really ask for people's advice on things. Bad advice, I'm certain I get it constantly all the time. Um from people who think that they know better, but actually have no experience in the industry. I get it all the time, all the time, but I just smile and nod and I thank them. And I'm like, I'll look into that. Thank you. Because there's no point in doing anything else. <laughs> so this is interesting. Sorry to um, dig in here, but you said you don't trust advice. Is that therefore not a case of trying to find better people to trust to get advice from? I mean, for sure, there are always better people around, but most of the time when you do first meet someone, you think they are a better person, whether it's friendship or business or relationship, you know, everyone has their strong moments and that's definitely when you first meet them. And that's usually when people are offering you advice. And uh, I feel like there are great people, you know, out there in the world, of course, and there are intelligent people and there are people that are there to help people. That is the 1%. So just be really careful. I mean, as long as people are using their own common sense and they're not allowing, you know, themselves to be swayed by someone's advice, um, not and only guess if, it could not be good, but also it could not be for you. It doesn't always translate across to another. Sure. And I also guess it depends how solicited it is. 
if uh, there's plenty of people out there giving it free advice, which is worth every single penny that it costs, which is nothing. Uh, and then I guess if you've got good mentors and smart counsel who you've actually sought out for advice, would you see that as different? Um, I, of course, of course. Free advice, don't ever take it. It's never free. It's going to cost you something <laughs> at some point. Um, maybe not then, but later on. Um, I think if it's someone you've known for a long time, it's someone that you've watched succeed in the field that you're asking advice from. Um, I think that people ask advice from people that are maybe successful in one thing. So they think, oh, this person's got their shit together. I'm going to ask them. So they ask advice on what they're doing. And that person will give you advice. Mm. Hell, I give advice on things too that I'm probably not qualified to give advice on. But um, I just don't think that, you know, just use your own Use your own judgment and, and watch what people are doing and, and lead, follow them by examples of what they're actually putting into practice in their own mm. life and their own business rather than what they are suggesting that you do. Mm. Great. Okay, finally then. Thank you, Jade. Um, this podcast, this interview has a theme of disruptive, um, disruptive entrepreneur, etc. So what does the word disruptive mean to you? Oh, well, I feel like we're doing it right now. I mean, anybody that is basically disrupting an industry of, you know, there's been a set practice of the way things are, are handled and done. And you're kind of coming in and throwing all the cards in the air and making everyone super uncomfortable. And most of the time, all the companies that are in that industry hate you. Um, I think with Sugar Taco, with what we're doing, um, I feel like we're disrupting the, the restaurant industry. We're calling people out on all the bad practices that we're doing that they do. Um, and we're building something totally new. Uh, we're all women that have social media followings that also, you know, raise the money and opening this company that is eco responsible with no carbon offset and we're not harming animals and we're giving back to people. And I think that it's having, it's forcing everyone to level up and really start hustling and make them make their companies better. And they can't just be complacent anymore. And, we're hoping to do a ton of these and really, you know, upset some people here. So, <laughs> and I think it's great. I think, you know, every single successful business that's coming up now, it has to be disruptive or it's just, it already exists. Mm. Great. I'm so grateful, Jay. Thank you very much. But just before we go, where can we follow you? What do you want us to do? You know, what do you want to sort of promote if you like? Sure. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. It's Jade Nicole. Um, and you can also follow Sugar Taco. Um, just search Sugar Taco. will come up right away and check us out. And if you're in LA, we're going to be open in a couple of weeks. Come on by and enjoy some tacos. Jade, thank you very much. Really appreciate your time. Very grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye.